Hi, my name's Paul Kennedy, and I'm a sport reporter for the ABC, and when I'm not listening to the ABC, I listen to Radio Karam. Tune in and enjoy. Welcome to the Strong Single and Human podcast, a real look at single parenting, how to navigate the ups and downs of life with kids on your own while keeping sane. We cover all manner of subjects from domestic violence, dealing with childhood trauma, through to fussy eaters and how to help your kids become resilient. I'm your host, Claire Martin. Welcome. This week's guest, since she was eight years old, has studied people's behaviour. It was not intentional, but necessary for her survival. She lived in a war zone. Of course, you wouldn't necessarily know that by walking past her house, but you did if you knew her family. And she also never knew when the war battles would occur. Therefore, she always had to be prepared. One way she prepared was by studying the behaviour of those in her family, which would mean she had a leg up and always be one step ahead of her abusers and the home's toxicity. The bottom line is her life was full of abuse, violence and fear. Today, she is grateful for her extremely traumatic childhood because it had a significant impact on her to be the therapist and coach who easily gets it. Elizabeth Lewis is a personal and professional development coach who focuses on the significance of mindset and perception. Her witty, direct and transparent communication style educates individuals by showing them life is a choice. We can either choose to allow our brains and emotions to control us by reacting, or we can choose to take control and respond as we consciously desire. This is the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Welcome, Elizabeth Lewis, to the podcast. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy to be talking with you, Claire. Ah, I can't wait for this conversation. I have studied a lot about trauma and, oh, my God, like your life, very traumatic earlier on. Um, And... I studied a lot about trauma and the effects of it. So I I find it an extremely fascinating subject because I don't think we understand the impacts trauma has on our lives and shaping us as human beings. I would agree. It's massive. Yeah. Yeah. Massive. So I've given a brief, if not somewhat, well, living in a war zone, I mean, it's somewhat full on, Mm -hmm. right, description of your life, early life. But like, look, tell us a little bit about yourself and like how you got to deal with the trauma stuff that you like. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah, for sure. For other people now, not yours, other people's. I know it's funny. I never planned to become a therapist or a mental health or business coach. It just kind of like happened. Um, But the reason I got on this path is because I kept going to therapists to try to get transformation out of my trauma and no one could really tell me. Now, at this time period, mental health and all that was a little bit different than it is now. So I think that's at least fair to say. But when I was a little girl, my first, most of my family died. So like my dad died first and then everyone else died afterwards, minus my mom and my brother. And then, um, After my dad died, he was kind of like my protector. Um, So death got very normalized to me. I think by the time I was 15, like 25 people had died in a really close, and it was like one every week, then one every month, then it spaced out. So it was very much like rapid fire of death. Um, But my dad was was, um, 61 when he had me. So maybe it's fair to also say that like my family was a little bit older. So he wasn't like 30 or whatever. Yeah, he he was 67. Still young. I mean... Yeah, oh, 67. The yeah, life expectancy, yeah. I think, is like 76 in like first world country. But you would have been – so if he I, was – if he had you when he was 61, you would have been six, just seven. turned seven. It was literally two months and six days right after wow. my seventh birthday, and he asked me if I wanted to go home with him um, the night he died because we were at our beach house, and I said no. For, so for the longest time, I thought that had I gone – you know, seven years old, you don't, you don't think – abstract you think black and white 
No, you would have saved him or whatever. And so it took me years to like realize like, no child, that was a blessing that you did not go with him. That would have been awful. And then unfortunately, uh, after my dad died, he was very much my protector, you could say, but my brother ended up trying to kill me my entire life. So when I say entire (gasps) life until I was about 16, when I moved out, I was like, peace out, guys. And I had an eating disorder on top of that that almost killed me. So after like dealing with everything, I was like, guys, I'm just out. Like, I I don't care at this point. I'm just not living in this house. So why did your brother want to kill you all that time? Is it like, did he have mental health problems? Sorry, I don't oh, know. Like, you, you don't seem an evil person yeah. to me, right? There is no <laughs> omen in you that goes, okay. But I'm going, like, what? He just so didn't like you? And what went on? So he, he does have uh, psychopathic tendencies, so antisocial disorder. Okay. And that's, so psychopaths are born, sociopaths are created. Um. Oh. Okay. I, yeah, so sociopaths, you kind of have to I like know that. develop. I thought they were born too. <sighs> okay. No, you kind of, it's like a survival thing. So people that are born in like, um, in those environments where gangs are really prominent and like the odds of them going into a gang, that's going to be more of a sociopathic tendency most of the times because you're you're forced to join to survive at the end of the day. So that's where the mentality kind of gets developed. I don't know why my brother didn't like me. He's older than me. Like I always liked my brother. I always was proud of him, but he hated the fact that his sibling was a girl. I think he really wanted a boy. Uh, He sure as heck treated me like a boy, but like he shot guns at me. He strangled me. He put knives (gasps) in my throat. He drowned me. Uh, And it wasn't like an everyday occurrence, but it was a very prominent occurrence to the point where oh. I didn't have many friends. I mean, it would make sense, right? Like he he did a great job of scaring my friends. One time he tied up my friend and put him in the trunk. I mean, it wasn't like a <gasps> sedan trunk. It was like a Jeep. So, I mean, but still that's traumatizing. That even... hmm? Yeah. Yeah. That is th- like, that would be like, wow. Yeah. Okay. If my brother's listening to this, then. Yeah, all the annoying things that you used to do to me um, aren't quite as bad as this. I forgive you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, like as siblings, yeah. you do annoy each other, and you yeah. do, like I've play fought with my brother and like pinned him to the floor and yeah. stuff like that, and he's like, but, but yeah, you don't do that. you don't do that stuff. Wow, sibling nobody, was anyone there to help you though? Like. Did your mom like? No. So this is unfortunately the crap that I got told. And and I, I will say that, like, I think my mom had so much cognitive dissonance that she didn't really want to see the truth. Unfortunately, this is a reality for parents. And she was so focused on trying to save my brother that she kind of neglected me. And she'll admit that now. She didn't realize that she was neglecting me in the time. But my mom had this saying where... It was, don't come to me unless you're bleeding. And I always wanted to be like, well, what about a broken arm? I'm technically not bleeding with a broken arm. So she always made it where he and I had to deal with it. And she never, essentially, we got to the point, my entire family, or my mom and I, I guess, we were afraid of my brother. We were afraid of his reactions. I mean, you were living on eggshells because I'm, I'm not, I'm not lying. Like he, I wasn't there for this one, but he took a gun and shot holes in her ceiling. You would think I'm making this up. And then the one where I was there, and I do remember, he took a, we lived in a nice, like, well-off neighborhood, nice house, nice thick doors. Um, and he he took a baseball bat and shredded our front doors, like shredded them to a pulp. Like, you got to have some testosterone and anger to just, I mean, to beat down those doors. Oh my and God. so we just lived, that's why I said war zone, because like, I would live in my closet. Like that's where I would hide because I, you know, had my protection. I could kind of like hide. I could hear a little bit. I could pretend like I wasn't really home too in case like I got there before anyone. And I just got really good at listening. But for a while there, like every Sunday, like clockwork, it was world war, you know, whatever number we were on. (laughs) And it was just constant, constant drama to the point where when I finally left and really uh, got a hold of my trauma brain it took me some time to get a to get used to boredom because i was so used to drama drama exactly and well and also like well people people who live in those situations there would be some ptsd and stuff like that i don't know i don't know if you could call it ptsd if you when you were a child like that but it is like post-traumatic stress syndrome like it's well when i was when i was 26 i was actually 
diagnosed with complex PTSD. So PTSD is one traumatic event, um, and it typically disappears within about six months. Complex PTSD is when it's a compound of trauma and you're not able to get away. Well, it's the getting away. So the one thing that separates like soldiers from complex PTSD and PTSD is soldiers know at some point they're going to come home. Now, the exception to the rule would be if they're taken, you know, prisoner of war or taken captive or um, anything like that, or just had constant trauma throughout. But what makes it really terrible is when you can't go anywhere. Like I didn't know about the sex trade when I was a little girl. And I know this is like really horrible what I'm about to say, but I probably would have voluntarily signed myself up for the sex trade to just get away from the hell. Like I, I didn't know. I know what I'm saying. Like I'm sure the sex trade is way worse. But it, just to kind of put it in perspective, I just I just wanted to be free because I was being sexually abused. I was being physically abused. I was being emotionally abused, verbally abused. It was, And eventually, you start to think you're worth no support. no support. Oh, no. Oh, in fact, you know, unfortunately, my mom kind of more so created codependency in me. And I had to work that out. And I had to figure out, like, what, is, what wow. does Liz want? And it took me a while to learn how to hold my own truth and do what I wanted to do because my mom told me what I needed to do. Mm. And in a way, like, you know, my, I've been kind of doing therapist since I was eight years old because my mom would talk to me and I would, you know, I would feel so bad. Like her, her husband died on her suddenly. Her son's a freaking like, you know, I would joke with her, like throw him off the cliff. Like if this was Spartan times, we would have thrown him off the cliff. Like that, that's what we would, we would say, like not to be mean or rude. I mean, it, it got to the point where, you know, my brother did get shot by the police officers. I mean, he, he does have a track record and there's times where my mom's like, I just wish the police officers would have killed him because of the peace. Like we, not that she like hated her son to that point, like you love it, but it's just like, we're just ready for peace. Like if you're dead, I don't have to constantly worry about you because I know you're dead. Wow. And so we got exhausted by this. But um, my mom didn't realize a lot of the truths at the end of the day. You know, you, I think you do your best. And I felt so bad for her of having a kind of an F up for a kid that I tried so hard to do everything right and be that perfect little child. And finally, I was like, I'm done, guys. Screw it. I'm out. It just wasn't worth it. Oh, my God. That's insane. That's insane. And the thing is, though, I, talking from, mm. as a mother, like, you just want to yeah. help your kids. Like, and I suppose he was the one that needed more yeah. help than you. So you just got ignored and left and like, you'll be all right. Yeah. You're fine. You, you're you dealing yeah. with stuff, but you weren't really dealing mm -mm. with stuff. And so then you just basically cancelled the hell out mm -mm. of yourself to try and deal with the abuse and the violence and all of the other stuff that you yeah. were going through. And my mom's very apologetic about it. Like she and I have a great relationship now um, and I don't have kids, but I did have a dog that was abused by an ex-boyfriend. I didn't know he was doing this at this time. And once I found out, I was like, okay, we are you like, there's the door, dude. Like, no, I don't have any tolerance for that. But I remember having so much guilt that it was hard for me to be around my dog because I felt so responsible for what she went through. And when I <sighs> had that experience, that kind of helped me um, understand my mom's point of view a little bit more because I started to see where she had a lot of guilt and it was hard for her sometimes to be around me because she felt so responsible. Mm. And it's like, I just, I, you know, at the end of the day, at some point, all of this has to be water under the bridge if you want a relationship. And, and plus bitterness doesn't destroy anyone but you i mean i forgive my brother yeah. i'm gonna see him for thanksgiving like i forgive him he's a different person he's worked on himself i mean he's still freaking insane and like do just like shut up some days <laughs> like like love you from afar but you're just too toxic for my world has he been diagnosed though has he been diagnosed does he get medication you know, uh, it's amazing like... what jail will do to a person sometimes you know and he had he had enough in and out experiences um and he really found God in jail and that changed him. And he um, he did work with a great therapist. He got on medicine and now he's not on medicine and he's owns his own business. He's doing great. He's got, he's married. He's got kids. Like, I mean, I still think he's a little bit like aggressive and toxic and could continue to work on himself, but I think everyone could continue to work on himself. But he's, he's a very different person at the end of the day. I mean, 
he had dyslexia. He his you know he was made fun of all the time for having an older father. He was bullied. I'm not justifying what he did. I'm just more so trying to paint the context. People can change too. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly yeah. right, exactly right. Um, and obviously, he was going through trauma. He lost his dad as well. So yeah, yeah. He handled it a lot differently, though. Well, he, so one thing about psychopaths is you really have to be like zero on a conscientious scale. Like you got to have no, you, you got to be so self-absorbed and he is. Unfortunately, he had, or not unfortunately, fortunately, he's got really high nurturance and his nurturance is probably his saving grace and probably what keeps him from like being a true a-hole. So he's, he's, I mean, he does the work. His wife is amazing and really helps, I think, keep him grounded. So it's proof you can change. As long as yeah. you're willing. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. Well, we're not here to talk about your brother. It's all good. Yeah. So, um, wow. So that's, so how did you get, after all of this then, yeah. how did you go, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to help people in the same position as me. How did you, how did you know, that come that about? that came about because um, when I was 23, three, I was working on my undergrad. So I went to go finish my undergrad and I was so mentally tortured. I just like, I hated my life. I hated being in myself. I hated everything about me. Um, I moved about like 500 miles away, which I think was really helpful to have some distance from my family. And, and that's when I really started to see, Oh man, I didn't have a normal life. Like, Ooh, let's put this in perspective. And so I sought out oh, yeah. therapists to get help on and they did help me to a degree, but when I was finally like, okay, my childhood sucked, it wasn't normal, I got some, you know, issues I need to work on, a lot of them couldn't help me with the transformation of like getting out of the PTSD, getting out of the trauma brain. And so I kind of threw my hands up and I was like, well, you know, maybe I don't know anything. I'll just go to just school myself and learn this myself. So I kind of was at a place where I was like, I don't, my background was in um, television production. So I, I didn't want to do television anymore. I didn't want to do producing. I was like, all right, well, I guess I'll just go back to school and figure out me. And so at 24, 25, I stopped working. I quit, I quit life. And I was like, I'm just going to heal myself. And I did have some of the means, like I had a nice little nest egg that I could kind of live off for a little bit to to have that peace and, and truly heal. And um, I started to become a little obsessed with neuroscience. This was just, this was kind of like everything had hit at once. I, I got into school to learn positive psychology with a subspecialty in coaching psychology. I found neuroscience and I found um, neuropsychotherapy. And I just started kind of taking all of the pieces I was learning. And I was like, well, I'll be my guinea pig. And long story short, I walked out of it and I ended up being just like naturally good at it because you have so many observation hours you have to do that my professor started giving me their overflow clients. And so I was like, okay, great. Like I had no intention to do this for a living. It was, I just want mental freedom. I just want to get the heck out of this torture. I want to forgive people. Like family is important to me. Like I want a close relationship with my mom personally. With my brother, you know, it takes two people. I, I can only try so much at the end of the day. And then you got to say, you know what? I'm tired of people constantly rejecting me. I'm going to stop going to the people who reject me. And so then I started to learn more and research more and just, you know, it's it's really my journey that I've shared with people in the sense of this is what's worked for me. And I'm very linear with my thinking. And I really need to understand the engineering of something before I do it. And I found that there's a group of people who really need to understand the why before they can change. And so those are the clients that I speak to and I help them change because I help them get that psychoeducation that's important for them to move forward. And then the rest was just kind of history. I mean, I just, it's not really work for me. I love learning. I love researching and I love like being my own guinea pig and then helping clients do the same. I'm a firm yeah. believer that you can make the impossible possible. If you can believe it, you can do it. Might take some time. Yeah. I think so. Oh, yeah, I think so. And like for some people, yeah. it will take time, right? It's like, you know, they're not all like you who go, right, I'm going to heal myself and we're going to go and do this and find out all of these different subjects. But like they do need help. They do need somebody else to go to. But um, okay. So I know we've talked about this a lot, right? Well, we've mentioned it a lot. Like, what is trauma? Because yeah. trauma in the media is mentioned like, oh, people have had this PTSD, blah, blah, blah. And so it, it is mentioned a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm just like, 
Can we define it? You know Can what? You define I'm it? going to define it with a definition from American Psychology Association. Um, and I want people okay. to remember a lot of the verbiage we use in like mental health, like trauma, rape, narcissism, so forth. It's a spectrum. Like at the end of the day, like I think sometimes we immediately go to worst case scenario of the like, you know, like the Hollywood worst case scenario when we forget that it, it is a it is a spectrum. So um, they define it as any disturbing experience that results in significant fear, helplessness, disassociation, confusion, or other disruptive feelings, intense enough to have long-lasting negative effect on a person's attitudes, behavior, and other aspects of functioning. Traumatic events include those caused by human behavior, rape, war, industrial accidents, as well as by nature, like earthquakes or tornadoes, and often challenge an individual's view of the world as a just, safe, and predictable place. One thing that's important to remember is going through trauma is not rare. In America, 70% of people have gone through it. And just worldwide, the statistics are about six of every 10 men, so 60%, and five of every 10 women, so 50%, experience at least one traumatic um, event in their lifetime. And women are more susceptible to sexual assault and child sexual abuse. Mm, mm. And But it's... Trauma can be like witnessing a car accident. Oh, yeah. Like it can be, you know, it can be a traumatic ex experience, which in that car, yeah. because it, like you, and I suppose that definition is about it affects your life, yeah. right? So it's about you then going, oh, hang on a minute, it's not safe. And in a way, I do think that maybe a hundred percent of people have been affected by trauma because we've just been through COVID, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But it's true, right? So our norm, yeah. our normal world was turned on its head. Yeah. We weren't, like, especially in Victoria here in Melbourne, like, we weren't allowed to leave our houses yeah. after 9pm. Yeah. We could only exercise within a 5k distance, oh. right? It was like, you know, it's like, it's quite worrying. Um, I mean, there's significant and fear wonder, and helplessness just right there from those oh, things. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. right? And that's not about COVID. That's about the fact that the government yeah. did, and I'm not, yeah. I'm all for it, <laughs> but like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it was a bad thing, right? But what I'm saying is that was because the government said, this is what we're doing, right? right? Yeah. And so people felt as though they lost their control, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. They couldn't then control their lives. They couldn't then go and go 10Ks, go and do whatever they wanted, visit their family, visit their friends, whatever, because there was a fear um, of the government, I suppose, and a fear of COVID. So it's been... we've And I think you hit the nail on the head we, because it's it's like the last sentence in the definition. It challenges an individual's view of the world as just safe and predictable. And what's interesting is some of this is going to depend on how your brain is wired and the size of certain parts yeah. because like my my... My my boyfriend was in the military, and he was a very high ranking individual in in, in one of the um, special forces. And you know, I, I yeah. ask him, like, do you have PTSD from all of the missions that you've gone on? And he's like, no. And he really he really doesn't. And he has survived yeah. three helicopter helicopter crashes. Like, so he, I know he's oh had some God. true trauma. And to me, I'm just like your brain you have to be one of those people whose amygdala and limbic system just does not register fear like the rest of us <laughs> is going to register it and so that's a big part of it too but yeah. the cool thing or is, is it that they've or is it that the military has trained him to deal with it in a different way so there's actual research that like um psychopaths and uh, sociopaths and people who are wired for war not to put them all in the same category but that statement just did their brains are actually wired different for fear some of them not all wow. of them and so we're we're learning this because neuroscience is still a very young field at the end of the day it's only a hundred years old which sounds sane, insane to say but you know, we're just learning so much about the brain at the end of the day. But at the same time, too, it's also his his meaning and his perspective. I mean, you're not going to get to his level of war fighting, if you will, without a certain type of psychology to begin with um, and without certain trainings at, at, at the end of the day. So the cool thing, and I can speak from experience, is you can change the meaning you make out of things. You can improve how you fit into the world 
And um, you can find new and different perspectives, which is going to be important to get that healing at the end of the day, because you have to change the narration. Okay. So I was going to say, how do we do this then? If you've experienced trauma or been very traumatic childhood like you have, right, Mm -hmm. then how do we do this? How do we... How do we start to change and rewire our brains? Yeah, that's a great one. Well, you know, neuroplasticity, which is rewiring your brain, is a little bit of a paradox, right? It it can operate for us and it can operate mm. against us because whatever we think about the most is going to grow. And this obviously applies for positive and the negative spectrum. So just continue on the PTSD example, you know, neuroplasticity has worked against that person, you could argue, and they've experienced these crushing mental traumatic events that have fundamentally changed the meaning that they've made out of their lives. And that's also altered the structural um, parts of their brain due to constantly rethinking uh, thinking about it. And so during trauma, the person's mind's not like thinking in harmony with themselves, right? They're 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 processing and reacting the event because the way our memories work, it, it's just insane how the brain's implicit and explicit memory will change our traumas. And so when you're constantly thinking of that thought or that memory is playing, you're getting a stronger synaptic nerve connection. And so if ultimately what you have to do is you have to starve those neurons because neurons that fire together wire to get wire together. And so there's a few tangible things that you can do. Um, but first you've just got to constantly interrupt those patterns. It's just, it's like you, you, when you go to the chiropractor, wow. sometimes they'll tell you, it's just interrupt, interrupt, interrupt. We're just trying to interrupt the, the signals. It's the same thing. Unfortunately, yeah. you have to self-direct it. Um, Because ultimately, because it's all in your head as such. It's like your self-talk to yourself. Yes. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's like how many such is like your self-talk has gone rogue, and it's against you. Like that's a good way of putting it, right? So you because because unfortunately, and this is where you'll you'll have a lot of clients fall off um, the transformation wheel because they become so inconsistent. But there's a few things that you can do. Um, Number one, find the blessings of the trauma. That's something I personally did. I wrote down every traumatic. To be grateful for. Yeah. And and, and sometimes. As such. Right. Find the positives. It's going to take maybe a decade for those positives to come out. Like that's that's a reality, right? Because you might need to be in a whole different. Right. Depending on the trauma. Or depending on where you are with your psychology. Like if you're bitter right now then the first thing you need to do is like figure out a way to forgive the person. I don't care how you need to do it, but forgive the person just so we can get some clarity. I wrote down all of the like crap that happened to me or I went through, not enough to like relive it, just enough to quickly trigger it and then shut it down because we're not trying to like relive it. And then I was like, okay, what was a blessing? What was a positive? What's something I'm grateful for? What did I learn? And it could be like really, really small. Like maybe we need to get the nanoscope out. Don't know if that exists, but I just made it up if it doesn't. <laughs> because does. like like research says, what you most think about grows. The more you think about yes. something, it grows. Like when you pay attention to your headaches, they get really bad. When you get distracted, they disappear. When you're going, right, find all the red cars or whatever, right. or I'm going to buy a red car or whatever, and then, then you see loads right. of them and you think, oh, maybe I won't buy that red car. It doesn't look so unique <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. But, you know, it's, yeah, but that's right. You look for. Yeah. And yeah. for me. Your brain tells you to pick yeah, it up. Yeah, it's your reticular activity system filtering in the stimuli that you that you tell it at the end of the day. I mean, you condition your brain regardless if you're aware or not, right? For me, one of the things that I learned from my my uh, past from doing this, just as an example, is holy crap! I'm pretty tough, and I have this mentality: right, wrong, or different, or, or indifferent. Which is, I'll be damned if somebody kills me after all the crap I've gone through. Like, bring it on! Like, let's go! Well, favorite. Like, dude, I've had, I've had standoffs with a freaking lion. I'm kid you not. With a raccoon, which are terrifying in the in oh the God. in the daylight. <laughs> oh, raccoons are probably worse than. I don't lions. know. This lion was trying to protect its 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 cub. It was lioness, and I was like, oh, crap. oh okay. Um, but it would have been a cool story to tell had i survived the attack assuming you know been like screw your shark bite look wow. at my tiger scar yeah but then they're, right? You know, they're, yeah. <laughs> right and i've, well, I've survived true. my brother yeah. and so like i just realized how <laughs> tough i am and to me that's something that's important to me maybe it's not to you but find it the other thing you want to yeah. do is if that memory like maybe you don't have graphs on that memory like it keeps just like poking at you like a jerk right 
what you would want to do is get really clear on the situation, like the, the, um, like the physical location, like for instance, maybe you're in your house and maybe in the room in your house, there's a window, you know, 20 feet behind you. And outside that window, there's a tree 50 feet out from the window. Right. And so your goal then would be like, okay, when that memory comes, I'm going to mentally take a step back in that room, wherever that memory is putting you. And your goal is to then get to the window. And then from the window, you would get to the tree. And what that does is it actually starts to suffocate the neurons because you're trying to, you're, you're, you're shifting the focus and you're shifting how you're participating in that memory, if that makes sense. So you're focus, you're not focusing on the memory, you're focusing on right, moving away from starting it. to observe the memory, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a great way. Yeah. Yeah. Like being a third party looking right. into the memory, memory not actually right in it it's yourself. like an outer body experience type of deal yes yes yeah, yeah. yes and then yeah. one thing that okay. is truly helpful like once you've gotten to a place where you're like okay i've and i didn't say this but process the memories like do, do process them but don't vent about them just process them i would encourage you to get a coach or a therapist or a trusted friend but once you feel like you have like peace with it and you're really ready to just cut off that dead vine then you want to start to retrain your limbic system because ultimately your amygdala and your limbic system are over overactive, right? This is what's making you hypervigilant. This is what's making you ruminate. This is what's making you hear the conversation 200 feet across the room type of deal, right? And so what you want to do is create a script and it, you want to keep it simple and short and you either want to snap your fingers or hug yourself or take steps back. So the first thing to do is create some sort of interruption with your physiology. Um, I like to snap my fingers and then I will say, hey, brain, you're sending me false information. I'm actually safe and I'm trusting I say, God, maybe you're trusting um, a research, maybe you're trusting a new thing, maybe you have a new support system, but you just want to reassure your brain because what we're learning is your brain can send you false information. I mean, how many times have you got a panic attack or an anxiety attack because of a thought in your mind when in reality you were really safe, actually? You were totally fine. You're, you're, you just psyched yourself out ultimately. And so it's bringing it in and saying, hey, brain, you're sending me false information. We're actually okay. We're okay. Because you have to retrain your brain. So it's almost like taking a, so it's almost going, okay, stop a second. Mm -hmm. I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay. And I'm safe at this, you know, yeah. I'm safe in this moment. Yes. I'm okay. Yeah. And so whether that's taking a break, snapping your fingers, if you've got like a piece of, I've got, I've yeah. got an old hair tie on my, yeah. on my wrist, but if, where you ping that and you go, hang on a minute and just bring myself back into the reality yes. and not off into this, like into the memory of the world yeah. as it were. Yeah. Into the memory. Um, and you sort of just ping something yeah. or click something, just make or some commotion, pick yeah. your nose or whatever. Yeah. So that, so what you're saying is that commotion breaks your physical state. Have you ever state. been in a conversation and a loud boom happened or something that like took everyone's attention? Okay. And you did you yeah. go back to the conversation going like, oh, where were we? What were we? Oh, what it's are, that. Yeah, exactly. It's just exactly. trying to interrupt so a pattern to kind of get some pattern. distance. And then the third thing you want to do is make sure your emotion is happy, joyful, Pos like a, a positive emotion because we know when you tie your physiology your psychology and your emotions together when you create all three of those changes at once your change is more likely to happen okay so i'm gonna challenge you here then so what about if you are you think of this memory and it depresses you right mm. makes you sad whatever mm -hmm. how do you change that emotional so if you're already sad and sometimes sometimes you like yeah. to you know i'm sometimes i'm sad and i like to wallow in it <laughs> you know you go yeah. oh chocolate or oh, sad movie or whatever <laughs> oh a glass of wine but um yeah, oh, exactly sometimes. and like and that's why this podcast has got the human bit on the end right because we're all human we can't be perfect <laughs> all the time right but like how do you change that emotional feeling well, like, what do you tell yourself? Because I know you can go, right, well, we're safe. Everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So yeah. you do the click, flick, whatever. And how do yeah. you then emotionally, well, do you then get up and go out? Do, do you then get up and, like, move? 
because maybe that would actually change your emotional state, like go out for a walk or um, go make yourself a cuppa or whatever. So I'm so happy you asked that question because I want to answer it in twofold. So pigging back on kind of snapping your fingers or creating an emotion, a commotion, and then um, shifting to that dialogue and having a positive emotion What you would then want to do is one of two things, either immediately get yourself back into the present moment by really leveraging your senses, because we only exist in the present moment. So doing that. Now, if you're like me, where you're driving or you're kind of alone, and so there's really nothing to kind of consume you, this is when you Mm -hmm. want to get ahead of it, right? Like 95% of our thoughts are the same every single day. So if you're struggling with depression, trauma, what have you, like prepare, it's coming at this point, right? And so write a list of your favorite love memories because oxytocin will be produced when you net when you when you intentionally think about that love memory and what we've seen is that oxytocin can start to uh decrease cortisol if you will it will break the like rumination cycle at the end of the day because your brain doesn't know the difference from the past present or future so if you get consumed in a memory that's positive your brain's going to shift your neurology is going to shift and eventually your psychology will follow at the end of the day so get ahead of it you know what are your favorite memories that just immediately make you smile and feel loved and joyful, write it on your phone. So when you just read it, bam, that memory comes up. You're back in that memory. Yeah. And so now you have a nice little buffer to transition into the present moment as you're driving or, you know, finding just a shift in thinking because these things will, will pass as for like, if you struggle with depression or, or a memory comes up and it makes you depressed, understand then you are focusing on what you don't want to see. I mean, you're focusing on pessimism. You're focusing on the things you want to avoid. Every situation contains good and bad. Um, I have these great people in my life who lost their only daughter in the Virginia Tech shooting back in 2007. And they encouraged her to go to class because at the time, you know, they didn't know what was going on. So just imagine being a parent and you told your kid to go to class and that's what got him killed. Okay. Like, well, (laughs) <laughs> that's what we all right. do every day, especially if you're a single parent. You're like, just go to class, right? We need a break. Just go to right. school. Yeah. But, but that's the right. guilt, right? Because, well, but also you're thinking, go to school, learn, yeah. get information, get knowledge. It's going to be great. It'll be great for you. Shootings yeah. yet. Like this was still kind of yeah, new wow. at that time. And they just showed me so much of like the power of belief in the mind. And you know, they've got no bitterness. They've got no bitterness to the shooter. They've got nothing. They focused wow. immediately on the positive. And some of that positive took some some years to play out. And they're like, you know, I might have lost my biological daughter, but I gained three daughters in the process of overcoming this. So my point in saying that is you can always find the good, no matter how small it is. Uh-huh. And if what we focus on grows, then it could be a speck of goodness. That's okay. That speck will grow. And I, and I and I have yeah. to and and I have to say yeah. with the grief side of things, um, it's about being grateful to actually of having yeah. that person in your life yeah. for that period of time, right? Um, and it it's normal to go through the grieving grief process. Sucks. It's not we're not and they're ne- and they're never yeah no. and they're never going to forget no. their biological no. daughter, right? Never ever, right? Um, but it's like you say, in a way, and I think I do it a little bit with the grieving thing. I think, okay, the positive is that this person was in my life, you know, they had such an impact, they influenced me this way and that way. And so I try, I personally try and Same. celebrate people. If you've lost people, you try yeah. and celebrate them, right? Because what's the point in being all depressed about them not being here, right? You can't right. change that, right? You cannot right. change that fact. Um so it's about actually turning that yeah. into a positive and going, well, but we had such a great night on X or we had, because mm-hmm. I lost a friend mm-hmm. to suicide mm-hmm. eight years ago. Um, and while you go through all of the traumatic yeah. emotions, you're angry at them. You're like, could I have done anything? Oh, you know, yeah. I mean, there was all of us friends sitting there going, what is yeah. going on? You know, he was the last person we would have thought would have done this. Then then you go, you think about his family. Mm-hmm. I mean, his daughter stayed with me um, for a period of time um, when he was still alive. And, um, you know, you think about those kids and stuff like that and you just go, so senseless, right? But no, can't change it. Can't change it. His choice. He took control 
of whatever he needed to take control in his life and yeah did what he did right yeah can't reverse it concerns me about my son concerns me about other men in this world as well as women but like there's a lot more men that commit suicide than women i'm not saying that the women are not important they are right but like they tend to women tend to talk to each other a lot more than men do i feel like it's also I think men need a little bit of looking yeah, after and i think it's more acceptable for like women to have emotional problems than men like you know it's some of the uh, oh, yeah you know whatever but you bring up a great point um some of this grief letting go of stuff i mean dealing you can't really change your feelings necessary you can explore them and from exploration you can hopefully see different perspectives but this is where learning radical acceptance, which if you are a control freak or a dominant personality, might be a little bit more harder for you to do than other personalities. <laughs> wow. Tell us about this then, because I definitely am a control freak. Like I'm I'm a project I'm a project and program <laughs> manager by day. So I have to control like budgets and people and deliver things yeah. and stuff like that. And so yeah, R- controlling right? is my life. And you're a mom. Come on then. What's this oh, radical what's this radical stuff? You know? Oh, yeah, you know, radical acceptance man. is really just letting go. And what that means is being open to whatever thought, feeling, or emotion comes and just letting it be. So it's letting go of the desire to want to control the situation so for you to let go of a situation you want to control you have to acknowledge that you want to control it and remind yourself that you can't and then sit with that discomfort here's the issue a lot of people who like control typically struggle with perfectionism to some degree and perfectionism hates Mm. discomfort and hates uh grayness like it's Mm. all or nothing and it fears discomfort so some of this is normalizing being uncomfortable because that's just unfortunately a huge part of life is being uncomfortable, right? Like this, the sooner you can normalize yeah. it, praise God, oh. get it out of the way. Uh, and it's it's then leveraging mindful thinking instead of judging, observe. Okay, right now I would like to smack this person in the face. All right, we're just going to let that go, right? You know, it's just it's just kind of right. You can laugh at that though, and you yeah. can like go, you know. Don't, no. don't like do it. No. You can maybe imagine it in a comical way, like <laughs> The Office, okay, or something like that, you know? But like, yeah, it. don't do it because that wouldn't be good. Yeah. But there are times, yeah. I, I have a punch bag in my garage, in my little gym garage that all my listeners have heard about. Do you use it a lot? Um, and I just. <laughs> did you oh, you I did. oh, no. <laughs> I did when I I did oh. when I was splitting up with the ex. I was like, right, okay, I need to go oh, punch the bag for ten minutes. And I broke it, um, and I wanted that like breaking that to last oh, longer than the like three seconds it took. I've broken a plate before. Oh, that sounds really bad, no, doesn't it? No. Oh, sorry to all the Greek people out there, um, but I, I had like. I broke a plate, smashed it, like picked it up and threw it at the floor. The problem is chipped a tile. So, no, well, cleaning it up is a real pain in the ass as well. But, like, it chipped a tile. So now there's a tile that's chipped in my kitchen that really bugs me, right? Because obviously I'm a control freak and I like everything neat and tidy and I can't cover up this bloody tile. And I can't take the tile out either because where the plate flung um, basically was like the middle of the floor. <laughs> so I've got to yeah. cut right. So like lesson to everyone out there, if you're going to throw a tile, throw it somewhere which isn't going to chip. I didn't think the floor was going to chip, but it did. I must have thrown it really hard. So hard. I threw my fish tank um, outside on my asphalt and then I was like, crap, I've got God. Dogs, oh. I've got God. I've got dogs. I'm going to have to sweep this up. <laughs> like It took like 20 oh minutes God. to clean it. I'm like, really? Two minutes to or two seconds to break, 20 minutes to clean. Was this worth it? And then yeah. I was like, I hope my dogs don't get anything in their little paws because I don't feel horrible. Because it, you know, it's amazing yeah. how things can shatter. And it's like, wow, it's in like, you know, Guatemala or something. And you're like, I'm, you know, yeah. thousands of miles away. How did you get all the way over there? But that little moment did feel good. I, I must admit, punching the punch bag was probably better than smashing right. the plate. Because it didn't really hurt anything, so yeah, and it would be great because I, I, you know, I mean, this is a long time ago because my son was two, but like, I would put him in the lounge, shove him in front of like (laughs) I don't know Twinkie Winkie and whatever, and and then go and punch the living hell out of a punch bag. But that's showing control because it was to do with, by the way. Well, it's to yeah. 
hello control freak um but like it was to do with the fact that i didn't want to have all of that pent up frustration and it wasn't just to do with oh, the no. ex i have to say i mean it's he's complicated he's not that bad a person but at the end of the day well like it could be frustrating to not work it just could be like ah, i've got no free time um yeah. so yeah it's a bit like going and sitting in the toilet locking <laughs> the door and eating like drinking a glass of wine or eating a chocolate or whatever yeah. um just to get five minutes away from the child who's like oh yeah driving you mad yeah. but yeah okay all right so so that's sort of breaking the cycle then and obviously with all of this yeah. right yeah we're sort of saying don't not go and get help and do this on mm -hmm. your own right but these are ways that you when you're on your own because let's face yeah. it if you see a counsellor, you may only see that counsellor once a week, oh, right? No. So you've got all of that time on your own Thank you. to deal with your shit that basically um, needs to be dealt with. Yeah. And you can't have the counsellor there every five minutes. So so we're just saying these are just little tips and yeah, hints. And, I, to and I'm so happy you said it. that because, um, of course, my internet's not working. How many hours are in a week? Is it 168? Did I just make that up? Oh, my God. God, I didn't think we were doing maths this I morning. Know, right? Jesus, uh, I know there's 24 hours a day. What's seven twenty-four? I don't know. <laughs> oh okay, so let's, let's quickly do the math. 24 times 7. 168. All right. So if you see a counselor oh, God for you. one hour a week and you spend 167 mm. hours doing the opposite of what they tell you to do, stop seeing your counselor. Yeah. And by the yeah. way, if you've never had safety imprinted on your brain as a child, therapy's less likely to work. I didn't know that. Wow. Okay. Explain that again. Yeah. What do you mean if you've never had safety imprinted on your brain? What does so that mean? So for me, right, as a little girl who always had to hide and kind of take cover, I never had safety imprinted in my brain. I couldn't trust mom. I couldn't trust brother. And you got to remember seven's a really fragile age, right? So the fact that like my world kind of shut down at age seven, that shifted my neurology. So safety, like having a safe space where you can share your vulnerabilities, where you can just kind of yeah or, or a just safe like parent you know, or whatever yeah because some relationships have toxic alcoholic yeah. addicted parent and uh, another parent yeah. who's yeah, the safe you, parent sometimes you gotta you know coddle little kids yeah. and you gotta you know kids go off literally because their brains are only you know so mature um so if you've never had safety if you've never felt yeah. like you were safe psychotherapy is less likely to work because you don't know how to necessarily create that trust relationship with the therapist and that's really Im wow. really important so and i think that might have been one of the reasons why therapy might have not been as effective to me now at the time they also didn't have the knowledge that we have now and i don't know if they were trauma specialist or what have you but i'm also like i don't really care necessarily to process and explore i've already done that i'm ready for like what are the action steps to get the heck out of this hole um, so if you've not had that, then sometimes it's actually better to do the research yourself. And there's so many great books out there in today's world. Like Body Keeps a Score is an awesome one. I mean, this information is coming from that author at the end of the day. I forget his name. I th that is Gavin Matte. No, he has a weird last name. Oh, is it? I, no. Okay. I, no, maybe it's not Gavin It's, it's Bessel van der Kolk. I think it's on my audible list. Bessel van der Kolk. It's on my Kolk. I don't, I don't, I, I'm like horrible with names, oh, guys. I speak to each other. Yeah. My own language. Oh, I'm dyslexic with names. That's why I said to you, like, how do I pronounce your surname, mm -hmm. which is Lewis? Looks but like Louis. Like, or Louise without an E. I just keep pausing every time I went to go and say it because I'm like, oh, my brain just goes, what is that word? And it's stupid because okay. I know what it is. It's, okay. it's insane. But. I know. Well, that's what you said to me. It's all right. Don't worry. I didn't pick it, but it's all In good. every graduation um, I've had, they always no. butchered my name. It'd be okay. Oh, my God. It's not a hard name. I know I did ask about it, but like I have name dyslexia. And I think, I don't know if there is a thing like about it. name dyslexia, but like I do, I do look at words when I'm reading and go, oh, and my brain like does a little brain fart and goes, oh, hang on a minute. I'm having a bit of a panic yeah. about that word. And this is my trauma, right? <laughs> so bad. You're God love Mr. Right London. Now. I'm so sorry. Mates of mine. <laughs> mates of mine. Mates of mine who I used to go to school with <laughs> know this guy. Um, used to have a teacher called Mr. London. God love him. I respect this guy. 
I have a nice fondness about him. Mm. However, he made me oh, read out loud in yeah. class and it was a difficult yeah. bloody yeah. book to I read out. I can't even remember <laughs> the book. All I can remember, and this is me going back to the emotional yeah. trauma, all I can remember is reading and not really reading very fluently yeah. and f there was no flow to how I read. I missed words because I was so nervous and people who know me would think this is nuts. And ever since that moment of reading out loud in class, I hate reading anything yeah. out loud. I get that. Hate, hate reading it. I have to practice it. Practice, 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 practice. So if somebody said to me, oh, can you read out from this book? Or gave me a piece of paper to read out, freaks me, absolutely freaks me. Way. And I don't know, I think I was about eight, nine, something like that. He didn't mean to do it, but Traumaville's so Alabama. So let me ask you this though, because I have the same thing. And um, if I don't feel under pressure or in my head, I can say words that I sometimes can't say when I read them, or I can say the word correctly in my head, but then it's like, comes out. And yeah. I'm like, hmm. it's like, I, I take yeah. like I lose control over pronouncing the word pronunciation or yeah. I like think the word is said this way. So I'll say it and it's like, no, that's actually not how you pronounce that word. So I'm like, well, that's why I speak new age Elizabethan. So catch up guys, catch up. So you could speak yeah. Loving that. Clarabian. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Elizabethan was taken. So I had a new Clarabian. age. It's okay. Elizabeth is my middle name. So you I could, could say like new age Elizabethan deal with that too. One. You could be I the could. second person in my group. Martin is my last name. So I could call it Martian Martin. Martian, Martian language or whatever like Martian like, yeah like Martian but Martanian Martin language Ooh, that's very bougie know. yeah well you know what can I say I mean Melbourne mind you it's not it's not Byron though no, so you know not as bougie as mm. Byron but whatever no oh wow yeah it's nuts. So sorry, we were going, <laughs> we, we went around. I love that. Okay, statement. that was the biggest rabbit hole I've <laughs> ever dug down. But anyway, that's all good. Um, so, so no, you were saying about that book. Yeah. Like, and I've, I know about the book too. I haven't read it because I think it terrifies <laughs> me. Anything. So there's another book as well that Gabba Mate has written. What's his bloody name? name of it? Um, Gabba oh, yeah, Mate. Yeah, 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 yeah. The Canadian, he's a Canadian. Um, when the body says no, the cost of hidden stress, is that what you're thinking That's of? right. Oh, my God, yeah. it is. And it's just popped up on my Audible. So it's when the body says no. And I started listening to it and I got about 15% of the way through and it terrified me and I had to stop listening to it because it's all about the, and I will listen to it, don't worry, Gabba, if you're out there. I'm sure you're not listening. But if you are out there, then and it's write great. Her. But, um, and I love your books. I said write huh? her. You should write you if you're if yeah. he's listening, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. I'd love you to come on because I really would like to explore. He does a lot about yeah. trauma. He's dealt with um he There's did a book on um, it. 30, 40 years of dealing with um yeah. addiction in Canada, in Toronto, mm -hmm. I think. Toronto, Vancouver, Vancouver. Um so he's a big expert on childhood trauma and how it affects people and their addiction and how they become addicted and all of that stuff. But anyway, um and it goes into the stresses that we put on ourselves regarding and then what that actually, the effect of it. So if you're a pleaser, right, if you're a people pleaser all the time, you're um, not pleasing yourself, right? Yeah. So you're going yes to everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And you're doing everything for everyone. And therefore, um, that puts stress on your yeah. body, right? So it stresses on well, your body. It triggers and you. so therefore it comes out in certain yes, it triggers certain illnesses oh, yeah. that potentially your genes are susceptible for. So it doesn't trigger it in yeah. everyone. But if you have the MS gene, right? Um, and you put yourself through certain stress triggers, right? It potentially would trigger that oh, gene. Hi. And that's why some people who have the gene yeah. have it and some people well, don't. I mean so, Self-hatred is the key in all autoimmune diseases. I've yet to meet because, wow. and think about it, an autoimmune disease is your body turning on its own cells. So your, your, your body is attacking wow. itself. That sounds insane, right? Well, what's self-hatred? What's negative self-talk? It's you turning on yourself. You do that enough, 
your body will catch up. Sicknesses always have a core psychological issue most of the time. So I, I contradicted myself with the always there, but most of them. And what we've proven is 98 to 75% of all mental and physical illnesses are due to our thoughts. That means two to 25% is due to genetics and the environment. But wait, there's more. Epigenetics has proven that we can change our DNA through our thoughts. Yeah. So this yeah. means you have to learn how to take your thoughts captive. You have to learn how to quickly cut the past off because it, it already happened. My boyfriend uses this great analogy. He says, like, take one of those, um, you know, hourglasses and all the sand at the bottom is the past. All the sand at the top is the future. And in between is where you exist. I mean, that's just such a little tiny bit, right. isn't it? Because at the end of the day, our memory is not as trustworthy as we want it to be. We don't remember no. things accurately at all. If you really start to study the brain, like, I don't think we were really supposed to remember the past to the degree that I think we want to remember the past at mm. the end of the day, if that makes sense. Just learn how to cut Personally, off. I'm going for menopause. I've had a kid. I can't remember the past anyway. Let's face it. My memory's <sighs> shot. So I'm sure it'll come back. And if not, I've got Alzheimer's. <laughs> so happy days. Who cares? I won't remember anything anyway. But like, um, yeah, yes, but I, yeah. I, I, but you, but why would you remember? Well, okay. My view is, and I was, it's funny because I was listening to a podcast this morning. My view is that we are set to survive right so our brain focuses on all of the negative shit that's out there mm. right um and we see that with the media oh, right the media don't post happy stuff all when the time so right you, yeah i used to work in no. television production i just wish i could tell no, exactly. the people who think they they can trust the news a tv like you just can't and here's the thing <gasps> Everyone has a different perspective. Like, we cannot tell you what a right perspective is. We can tell you healthy perspectives in, on that spectrum of a perspective. But at the end of the day, the more I learn, the more I grow, the more I realize, A, I know nothing. And B, life is more complicated than you can ever verbalize. Oh, my God, it is. It is. And, like, all of this stuff that's out there about learning difficulties, like autism and all of that stuff, right? I go... Yeah. We've got to phrase it different, right? It's not a learning, it's not a learning difficulty or whatever. They just learn differently, right? It's not a difficulty. It's that they learn differently. They have a different superpower from all the other children, yeah. right? And those superpowers are different depending on what they've got, right? ADHD is a different superpower. They're bored with the stuff, like they don't focus on the stuff that bores them. Why would you? I actually think that's quite intelligent, right? They, <laughs> why right? would you do that, right? But some of the time you need, you wouldn't want somebody who's got ADHD to do a mundane task, right? Because they just go, right. that they find mundane, should I say? Because they just go, yeah, no, well, I'm just going to focus on other stuff, right? I'm not going to focus on that. So hence, Learning in school needs to be interactive with them. It needs to be less about different. taking the test and preparing an employee to work for you. And that's the thing. Like we overdiagnose. Like there are personalities that have ADHD like manifestation. So it looks as if they're ADHD, but they're not ADHD. And the thing that just tickles me to death is when you get that bloody parent who's like, my son or child must have ADHD. Meanwhile, at the ranch, you feed it nothing but sugar and put it in front of the television. Like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, like we've gone so over obsessed with labeling and diagnosing. Like, at the end of the day, I just want to let everyone know psychology is a theory, a theory, a theory. You cannot prove theories. For every one theory, there's a one that contradicts it. The DSM, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, is so subjective, it's not even funny. To define mm -hmm. bipolar, you have to have one manic episode. Wow, yeah, that's girls, bipolar. We're all manic then. I mean, there's other things wow. to it, but it literally <laughs> says one but manic. We're all, on, we're all on the autism spectrum as well, okay? Or we're all on we're that narcissist. spectrum, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Same with narcissism. So, because you can be at one point of the – so, yeah. And then it's taking the psychology. Like, I didn't learn well at all because when I went to school, my brother wasn't there. My mom wasn't there. So for eight hours, you know what I had? I had safety. So what did I do? I disassociated. I shut my brain down and I rusted because I had yeah. to go home and be prepared to die. It was a life or death situation at my house. What was that? No, and so it's like the learning – like 
let's not be so quick to diagnose the problem with the person and maybe really look at the context and really get clear on what's going on in somebody's life. Also, like, are you even teaching the way that child learns? Yeah. Like there's so many factors, but we just want to be like, oh, that person did this. So they're that. And it's like, guys, there's something called the fractional attribution error, error, which is where you label somebody based off of their personality when it's better to look at the context. And these are, at the end of the day, these are all kids, right? They They didn't ask to come in this world. They just got brought in this world, right? And so... Yeah, look, it's difficult. I like the this world is so hard, but um, yeah, no, oh, I know. So the I know. moral of the story is: love people unconditionally, give them grace, yes. leverage empathy, see their perspective. You don't have to agree with it; just see it. No, look, and I have to say, there are some people out there who are annoying, right? But mm-hmm. you've got to then take a step back and go, okay. Are they being annoying because they're just concerned about X, Y, and Z, and they're just being a bit self-centered at that point in time? Because, right. and then are you not being a little bit? I don't know. Yeah. But pff, we digress, and that's probably my psychology um, session done for today. Look, um, thank you so much. Oh, thank you for coming on here and um, talking to me. It's great. It's fun. Yeah. I, I thank like, you. Thank you. You're amazing. I could talk to you for hours. Yes. We could go down so many rabbit holes. We I'm could sure the break listeners plates still be listening. And <gasps> kick the punching oh, bag. We punch could it. punch it and kick it. I we have could done get that in the too. big balls and, and run at each other and just get our own anger out and like bounce backwards. You know, there's big humans. Maybe we need maybe we need like adult thrash around places uh, which are really safe and secure that people can just go Well they are, haven't they? they? They've I got know. these like I want trash rage rooms, rooms where they Yes. Yeah, I want to go to one. Oh. I know. Happy days. But I feel like I could just yeah. go to Goodwill and like buy stuff and then break it. Yeah, just trash it in your own house and then nobody <laughs> has to worry. Up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, you need somebody to clean up for you. I know. That's the best thing about the trash house, right? They just, you smash it all, they clean it up. Happy mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, That's I know. True. I know. So look, how do people get into contact with you if they want oh. to get in contact with you, talk to you about trauma, abuse, fear? All those things. All those things. Yeah, they can go to Elizabeth Lewis, L-O-U-I-S dot com. I'm very big on LinkedIn, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, at Elizabeth Lewis Coaching is kind of my handle across the board, you could say. But all of that's on my website. So you can always cool. email me at Elizabeth at Elizabeth Lewis dot com. I try to make it as simple cool. as possible. I know. That's always good. It's yeah. always good. Yeah, the podcast name is a little bit long, but hey, it's got a ring to it. What can I say? Exactly. It's all good. Um, so one final question for you, because I know you've got to go and um, I've got to get my kid to school. Um, Darn education. What book would you recommend for my audience and yeah. why? What book would you recommend? And yeah. I know there's so many because you and I discussed these books before. Yeah, I know. It's like I don't even know. I've been struggling with that question for so long. Um, hmm. The best book, um, you know what? I totally forgot the name of it. Um, my gosh, I know. Oh, no. Hold on, give me three Have seconds. Have you got Google? I do. I'm going to Google. I'm like, I know the author. While you're Googling, what's it about then? As a Man Think. As a Man Think. Ah. By James Allen. It's an old book, like 1800, I think, is when James Allen, As a Man Thinketh. Um, wrote the book. I don't. I don't even know when he actually wrote that book. 1903, oh published God. in 1903. It is a short book. It's like, it's it's small pages. I think it could literally take you 90 minutes tops to read. Um, wow. So you could read in one sitting. But man, it it tells you neuroscience in the most simple way, and it oh, really okay. tells you the power of your thoughts. And if you hate your life, understand your thoughts did get you there to a degree. So if you really want to start start learning the power of thinking read that book. It's, it's, it's wow. eye opening. And some of the most like, you know, the people we apply, like the Tony Robbins and um, all those people, they encourage you to read this book too. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's worth reading. Oh, I mean, okay. for it to still Blimey. be in print after 1903, I mean, after hundreds plus years now, that's awesome. I've got to put a list of all these books on my website because um, I've got to just do my website, which is procrastination in its most purest form. Um but um, yeah, I need to get all of this list of these books out there because my list is growing so massively, and it's such a great 
you know, I'm, I'm ticking them off slowly, going through and ticking them off. Yeah. So that's brilliant. No, thank you. Yeah. Well, look. Yeah. I'll let you get on with your evening and my daytime, my morning. I know, you're my, my future. And... It's so weird. I'm no, the past. It's weird, isn't it? But yes. Yeah. You've got to go to work. Women Thursday. He's got to go to work. Yeah. It's work time. i got to go to work. Everyone's got to go to work. I know. I know. It's rubbish. Right. But yeah. Cool. Well, look, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming on board. We're going to get you back. We'll I get you back so. at some point. This girl. There'll be so much more to talk about. I like you. So, yeah. Mm. No. Alrighty. Cool. Well, thank you so much. Awesome. I have had so much fun. You're amazing. I wish the best for you. So are you. Mm. So are you. Thanks a lot. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you have a wonderful week and I hope to see you back here again soon. Be kind to yourself and remember, no one is perfect. We're all just putting one foot in front of the other and doing our best. I'm Claire Martin. And you've been listening to the Strong, Single and Human podcast. Hello, I'm Con. And I'm Stav. And, and we're we Eddie Nucky. You're listening to Radio Karam. Oi, 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 oi. IGA is shopping nights. IGA where the price is right. Seaford North IGA for your groceries and liquor. IGA Express, there's nothing quicker.